All right, weekends, episode seven. We talked about this last time. We're a third of the way to the 1% of all podcasts, 21-episode mark. How are we feeling? Feeling good, man. This is, uh, I can't believe it's already episode seven. I feel like there's been probably now 15 hours worth, I would say, what, like our content bank. And I just feel like there's been so much value that you can extract from, from those 15 hours. So excited to kick it off today, man. I think we got a lot of good stuff to Let's talk about. It. All right, where do you want to start? We've been talking, we had a couple couple topics we were chopping around before we even started recording we could go any which way you pick um well i wanted to i wanted to first talk you had a you had a really dope tweet i think on um, the importance of native repackaging and i agree with you that in 2024 is going to get more important than ever right because i do feel and what we're talking about here when we mean repackaging is sort of like repurposing your content across different platforms like i feel like callaway and i both have sort of anecdotally felt this where the gap between what's interesting to a particular audience on each different platform is widening and platforms are more and more like becoming their own unique, uh, you know, like they're having their own unique cultures with their own unique language, vernacular, slang, memes, inside jokes, et cetera. Like we've been seeing this happen in real time. So I wanted to ask you about how you're approaching repackaging in 2024. First of all, like how you're thinking about it. And then how you would like to approach it, I guess, this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't want to have to repackage because when we, like, everyone always goes default lazy. So, like, if the default lazy approach, which is kind of what we were doing initially, is, like, find a good, interesting idea, make one really high-quality video, like, vertical video. And we use the split-screen style, but, like, you could use any style. And then the beauty of that was, this is what everyone was saying, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube Shorts, Twitter to some extent, Facebook Reels, Snapchat, you could basically just cross post that exact same video, tweaking the caption and the hashtag slightly. Maybe you need a thumbnail for Instagram and YouTube, or not YouTube, but for Instagram and not the others. But the core video itself, you could cross post and do pretty well on, you do really well on one or two platforms and do pretty well on the other ones. You'd have a rare viral moment where they don't go crazy on every platform, but for the most part, you do like really well on one and not well on the others. But I kind of chalked up the not well on the others to like just random. It didn't take, the algo didn't push it. But now what we're realizing is these like subcultures is the best way I can think of it are forming on each of these platforms where the preferred content style, the preferred content pacing, the topics, the the visual editing, all of those are kind of like forming their own little islands that are getting further and further apart from each other. So if you make a piece of content in the middle, which is kind of what everyone was doing, it's not going to work on anything. And if you make a piece of content specifically for one island, like you see a lot of people who are like, oh, I'm a TikTok vlogger. Well, the reason they say that is because their stuff doesn't work on Instagram because the style for TikTok is like perfect, but for Instagram and everywhere else is not. And so we can, I think we should talk about each platform and like where we see each one diverging to, but the strategy at the highest level is a problem for people who are trying to like systematize content without natively repackaging it. And, and like you said, what we mean by that is taking the core content idea, like the core story, but potentially even reshooting a full new video or like a completely different approach for each platform. So I wanted to ask you, because um, I find this really, really interesting, is like how much of it do you think is up to the, I guess, sort of like, you know, roulette spin of the algorithm versus how much is like pure skill. Cause I've always thought, you know, when people start blaming the algorithm for the most part, it's like, no, it's just your content, right? Like the algorithm is just a reflection of the audience. The algorithm is actually your friend. It wants to find viewers and eyeballs 
and, and ears for your content. It benefits the platform, obviously. But then we'll see like crazy discrepancies where you may have had some videos that did 20 million views on, on Instagram and TikTok, and they may have got like 5,000 views or whatever on YouTube. But then on the other hand, you have videos that crush like your Christopher Nolan video or your uh, Taylor Swift, Neymar video. It actually crushed on every platform, I think, including X. And so, but I wouldn't say like those were dramatically different or that you did anything extremely better than the videos that may have, that had like that platform discrepancy. Like what do we, what are we chalking that up to? Is it just literally the luck of the draw on these algorithms? Um, or do you think like that, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Like I'm trying to figure out the science behind that. I think a big piece of it is luck, but what I've been thinking is the one, the ones that I sent, the ones that I posted that crush everywhere, there's something about those that's better than every other one I make. And it's either that the hook was just better or like the formatting was better or just the topic itself has a broader appeal. So like Taylor, usually the ones that work on YouTube shorts are like very mainstream culture, Oppenheimer, Taylor Swift, messy. Like these are, these are not as niche as most of the stuff I talk about. And so if you think about it, certain platforms are optimized to funnel you to niche audiences. Certain platforms are optimized to blast you wide. And so that's one part of it. The other part of it is it could have just been that day. Like so far I've made 250 videos and maybe only five have gone crazy viral on every platform. It's just possible that those five, those are my best five days or like those days I just happen to have the juice more than other days. And so the combination of the fact that I had the juice and the topic was broadly appeal, like broadly applicable to people, it's, it's some combination of that. I think the problem is if you're not making content, that's, news specific or like pop culture specific, which both of us are actively trying to get away from, you lose, you almost like are taking yourself out of the broadly applicable pool on purpose. And so if that's the case, it's like, all right, well then the ceiling for these videos is only so high. You just, you're never going to go 30 million views on a super niche video because you just don't have that many eyeballs that would be interested in it. Um, so that's part of it, I think. But the other part is just like, I think the type of people that our power users on each platform are different. It's a different bucket for every single one of them. So like Snapchat, the power users are 13 to 18 year old kids on Instagram. I would say the power users are more people like us, right? I would say there are young people using Instagram, of course, but the power users are probably 22 to 40 who are really, who didn't grow up in the social media generation as natively. Maybe they're more interested in visual stuff. They, They understand DMS and like Instagram was their core. TikTok's completely different. TikTok's like a stream of conscious. So I think it's just like the pocket of audience that is consuming most actively on each platform is different. And so you have to feed them differently. I mean, I completely agree with that too. And Facebook is another one, right? Like Facebook trends older now. Um, even though I did re- read a report recently that was surprising where it's still like 15% of teens or something use Facebook. And I'm like, that. I, w- I would have guessed it was like 3%, right? But either way, I mean, I think that it, it's so interesting. I wonder what what do you think attracts like different crowds, different demographics, different niches to each platform? Is it just like the time that they were released? And um, teens are generally like the early adopters to new tech. And so like the younger the platform, the younger the audience, whereas Facebook is like a dinosaur now that came into 2005. And so you got those people that grew with the platform, they just got used to it. Or is it like the product set? Is it the feature set? I'm trying to like grasp my head around like why these platforms are becoming so different in not only the behavior of the audience, but the actual demographics of the audience. Um, so my guess is, again, like when it was released, when it sort of hit like critical mass, 
and then people just age up with those platforms. But do you think there's anything else that we might be missing here that, that might be important to think about as a creator? Well, I think what you said is a really good insight, which is like the younger the platform, the younger the demo, because I think people who are younger are willing to experiment. The, a second lens would be, it's wherever the people that you want to be like are making content, that's where you're going to go. So on Instagram, I don't see a lot of like 13-year-olds making like power using making content. And so because of that, I would, you know, maybe, maybe they're like posting pictures or they're posting Instagram stories, which is why like if there's a younger demo that's active on Instagram, it's they're consuming stories. I don't see a lot of people creating reels that are young versus TikTok or Snapchat. There's so many 15-year-olds that are power using TikTok from a creative perspective and like making live TikToks that are on TikTok. They're on TikTok live stream. They're making like the actual videos themselves. And so I think that's part of it too. Like if you're 13, you're not going to just like be like, oh, Gary Vee's my hero. Like you're, you're going to want to watch a 15, a 16 year old who's like two years ahead of you. That's part of it too. And then the other, the third part I think is where are the, where are the direct message shares coming to your phone from? So if you're 13 and you're, all your friends are 13, what are the 13 year olds share? What content are they sharing to each other? That's bringing them from the outside in. Usually that's going to, so that's why Snapchat is so crazy for young people is because Snapchat was the only medium where you could send like the exploding pictures that you couldn't save. And so like you would get a Snapchat from a friend and it would bring you in, you get the notification like, oh, you have a new Snapchat, it would bring you in. With Instagram and TikTok, it's the same thing. Like I think a lot of people share their TikToks into messages. So if you have a 15 year old and you have all 15 year old friends and you have a 16 year old creating on TikTok, a 15 year old will watch that video and then share it with all their friends versus I just think Instagram is being shared with an older demo, Facebook even older, you know, like it's, it's, it's really where the ecosystem is bringing you into, I think would be another factor. I think that's well said. But let's come back to it. So I have, I have actually a couple of questions for you that are more like fun questions. I'm just a little bit curious, but okay. So we have all of these platforms um, that have really emerged over like the last 15 years. And now I would say there's, there's like seven main ones, I think as a creator that you want to be active on. And we can go through and and list them, but there's, uh, you know, there's Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, LinkedIn, X, um, and I'm going to include it with Instagram, just like Facebook threads, like what, like that whole ecosystem. And the other one would be TikTok, YouTube. I forget which one I missed, but if you were to rank them, and I don't necessarily mean for the type of content that you're making for the type of audience that you're seeking, I think like almost in general, like an opportunity for creators, where do you, let, let's say like top five, like, what do you think are the top five most important platforms? I'll phrase this question another way. If you had 100,000 subscribers, followers, whatever it were, that were all active, that were all engaged, that all really liked your stuff, rate it from one to five. Like, where would you prefer that audience of 100,000 active and engaged users, if that makes sense? Number one is YouTube by far. And I think it's because you can have a combination of depth, trust, but also top of funnel algo push. So it's a perfect mix of both. The CPMs are, maybe the CPMs aren't, aren't an absolute the highest, but you're getting really good CPMs for views when you have a video that goes. Brands understand how to activate on YouTube in terms of placements, in terms of uh, pre-rolls. So I just think the ecosystem is ma the most mature and the split in terms of trust versus breadth and, and reach with the algo is, is optimized. So I would say YouTube is number one. And I think we've seen that, right? Most of the creator brands that do well stem from YouTube creator founders, like Chamberlain Coffee, Prime, uh, Feastables. Like these are the examples everyone points to. There aren't that many examples that people point to from like an Instagram only creator. So that I would say YouTube first. To me, second, second depends on who you're targeting. 
if you're targeting business like B2B, Twitter might honestly be second because the power of having a, a deep Twitter audience when you're selling a business product or a course or something is amazing. But for me personally, I think Instagram, Completely agree. Instagram is second in my mind. And the reason why is because like Instagram is the, is the social hub of the internet. Instagram is like your internet resume, in my opinion. YouTube would be like if you have a TV channel, but Instagram is like your internet resume. Anybody who's making content on, on social media has an Instagram. They push through Instagram. People go to Instagram. You share your Instagram handle when you meet somebody new. Like that's the default one you share. You don't share your YouTube unless you're a default YouTuber. You always share your Instagram. So Instagram, I think, is really great for building trust, but it takes a lot more nurturing, like a lot more watering of the seeds than it does for YouTube, I think. So that would be number two for me. And I would say that's interchangeable with Twitter, like I said, depending. And and I, we're giving this list without including newsletter because I think newsletter is a whole different category in terms of like trust and money and stuff. Correct. Yeah. After those, um, what's left? We have TikTok left, Snapchat left, and am I missing anything else? TikTok or Facebook, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yeah, I think I think all of those... I want to say TikTok. I really do want to say TikTok next, mostly because of the amplification factor, but I'm starting to get like upset with how TikTok's trending, how it's working. It doesn't really fit the style of content that we make. We don't get a lot of signal. A lot of it's like game, like you're gaming the system. So I want to say TikTok just pure reach. But for me, the TikTok, Snapchat, LinkedIn all fits in the same bucket, depending on what type of content you're making and who you're targeting. So it's tough to pick. I don't, what would you think about that list? What would you change? No, it's actually funny, man. If you asked me the same question and allowed me like an hour to ponder on it, I'd probably come up with the exact same response. I mean, YouTube by far and away, number one. And it's, it's like you said, like any real famous creator out there, and I will say famous in the event, like I guess like well-known sort of household name, you know, that people under, let's say, 50 years old are going to know, are generally up until this point, they've been YouTube first. Uh, you're right about like the Instagram first creators. They're they're very well known within like that platform, and they do really well. Like Kayla It Signs, I think is one we talked about. Um, Tezza, uh, who's the other fitness? Uh, yeah, like Tezza, the other. Um, oh, Sammy Clark, the one Sammy that our Clark. wives uh, consume. Like Sammy Clark, like these kind of people. They've built incredible businesses. They're all going to go on to build seven, eight, nine figure plus businesses, and they're doing it. And and Instagram is their not only their primary in a lot of in a lot of cases, it's their only social media that they're really active on, um, which I always find really, really interesting. Now, granted, they like re-syndicate the same piece to like TikTok, et cetera, but it's not, you know, it's, it's like Instagram is, is their main playing field. And so these people are, are well known within that ecosystem, but they aren't like, you know, Mr. Beast, Emma Chamberlain, uh, David Dobrik, Liza Koshy, these people that actually become like basically celebrities, like I would say super celebrities that happens on YouTube. So you know, YouTube is just the, the long form nature of it. It's people are sitting down on a couch and actually turning it on and watching the TV. And there's like that emotional connection by far and away the best. And for me, I agree. Like Instagram for me is the headquarters for like a lot of creators, like almost like the creator HQ for a lot of people, just because there's so many more ways to communicate and distribute content, ideas, thoughts, um, and kind of like just go back and forth with a community on that, on that platform. And I'm also just excited about that whole ecosystem, like WhatsApp threads, Facebook and how that's all coming together, like kind of seamlessly in, into this congruence. So I, I'm like more and more now, Hey, if it's working on Instagram, why not go all in? And I want to segue to my next point where think about, I would say, think about every big, big creator that has been in the game for years. They've, they've, 
you know, built empires. They're known. They're well-respected. Generally, and I've been thinking about this, generally they've gone all in on one platform. Maybe it's Casey Neistat. He was all in on YouTube. Yeah, he was like a, you know, peckering of content on other platforms. And sometimes a client may come in and say they want to short it. Okay, but like most big creators, they go all in on one platform. And then once they got the wheels turning, once they got the machine being built, then they, they kind of, uh, you know, like branch out and really hit other platforms hard. Usually once they have a system and a team in place to, to allow them to do that at, at max quality. Have you thought, or, or maybe is our content not like fully primed for this, but have you thought about why don't I spend 100% of my time instead of like trying to like hit all these platforms at once? Why not spend 100% of my time on one platform? Then once I've like fully, fully cracked it, then like start branching out. Well, that's in a way, that's kind of what we did, except we didn't pick one platform. We, we picked one medium. So like this, this is a perfect build sure. onto the point we made at the beginning around like the native the native repurposing. At the beginning, a year ago when we were starting, the way I looked at it was like, I can make short form video as the medium and I'll just post it everywhere because it's working everywhere. But like the medium of short form is what I'm going all in on. And then wherever it grows, it grows. But yep. now that's not, to your point, it's not the case because everything's branching and diverging to its own island. Playing, me playing short form as the medium is not going to work. Now you have to play short form as the medium for a specific platform if you're going to go all in. So now it gets way more interesting. Like if we were to start over again right now, I think I would either pick go all in on YouTube from scratch, figure out how to do it, or I'd pick short form for Instagram. One, I'd pick one of those two. The reason I didn't pick YouTube and was like afraid to pick YouTube is it takes way more effort to get YouTube to work. Like you got to, you have to figure out the thumbnail. You it's the edits are so long. If you make a five to 10 minute video, it's way more complex. The storytelling is harder. The pacing is harder. There's just way more that goes into it. And I was kind of like, all right, I'm a newbie at everything. A smart way to think of it would be like run at the hardest possible thing. Cause that's what the moat is going to be if you figure it out, but also that's going to take the longest to work. And I kind of like wanted to hack my own psychology and pick something where I could actually see results quicker so that I would stick with it. So it's hard, I, but, but it boils down to two things, short form for Instagram or long form on YouTube. And I just think YouTube would be a better path if you have a long-term view for monetization and trust. Instagram is a better path if you want high signal quickly and you want to start working with brands faster. That doesn't necessarily mean you make more money or have a more durable audience, but I think Instagram gives you signal quicker. That's, that's what I would think. What, what would you do? Yeah, I mean, it's um, it goes back to my other question that I kind of had for you. I'm, I'm having a lot of questions for you because these are on my mind. I'm always curious to get your thoughts. But I think it all depends on what you're optimizing for, why you're creating, um, what audience you're trying to serve. So it's like there's no one size fits all anytime when it comes to a creator. But it goes back to this, this question that I'm always having in this quality versus quantity debate. And again, I think, it's, it, I think it depends on who you are and what you're trying to optimize for. And so my thing is always like I'm always kind of struggling with this where should I be putting out a high, high, high volume worth of content that are more low effort, meaning, you know, where I'm like literally chopping up this pod and I have like three or four that I'm posting per day. Um, and then my regular content, I might be posting seven times a week, split screen, whatever it is. And just like volume, 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 not worrying so much about the, the quality and the effort, or should I do lower volume at max quality and max effort? And I actually don't think where most creators, I put this question out on threads, most creators came back, of course, quality over everything. Otherwise you're doing a disservice to your audience. But I don't necessarily think that I blindly agree with that because it all depends. So if you're like a Homozi or a Gary Vee, or if you're somebody who's creating 
for one reason and one reason only, and that is to get leads, attention, eyeballs, to funnel into your system, to your sales machine, to get them to the other side and buy whatever you're selling. Then it's like, it's clear. It's, it's high volume, lower effort, right? Because you're just like, again, you're, you're spinning the slot wheel. You want to see as many times. You want to play the game as many times as possible. Some will hit, some won't. You don't really care. Um, whereas like Mr. Beast, Mr. Beast is never going to put like a podcast clip of his low effort on his, on his stories or on his TikTok or his, he, he never would do that. Right. Cause I think it's like, again, it almost like diminishes his brand of like everything, just like top quality. And so my question for you is how are you thinking about this? And two, the reason why I ask is, have you ever thought about doing a second channel, which I think is a good idea. A lot of YouTubers will have a second channel, Logan Paul shorts or Logan Paul seconds or whatever it may be to put like the lower effort kind of stuff that they're not like 100% proud of, but they're still like seeing the light of day. And I've been thinking about this for Instagram, for TikTok, this actually could be a play where I've been thinking about having a second channel for like, I can put something out there, like literally I just pick up a phone and talk and put it out there, that kind of thing. You know what I mean? So this is interesting. So there's two pieces in this. The first is around the, the quality quantity. Here's, here's where I've, I've been chewing on this for a while. Like the last couple of weeks, I've been really thinking about this. My take is as much, you should put out as much gold as you have. So like this podcast, I went through the full episode last week and I pulled eight clips, eight, five to 10 minute clips and 16 shorts worth of information that I was like, damn, this is value. Now, most pods aren't going to have that much. I feel like the reason why you, I mean, not to toot our own horn, but the reason why we're spitting so much value is because all we're doing is like thinking and talking about this stuff. So all the value from everything we're doing is being compressed into this 90 minutes. So it's just super high signal. So in my mind, I'm like, why would you not put out every single one of those clips if, if, we, if we think there's gold there? So it's, it's not like, I'm, I think the way most people approach it is I want to hit five a week or I want to hit 10. A, they come out with these arbitrary numbers. The answer is really like, I want to hit as much possible gold as I have per week and nothing more than that that's not gold. But I also, anything less than that is just like leaving value on the table that someone who's following me would want. So that's that's what makes it tough is when you're trying to build systems, which totally makes sense. You have employees, they're trying to make edits for you. You have to kind of tell the team, here's how many I want. But that's like the wrong way to think about it. It's more just like take this raw source and make as many 10 out of 10s as you can from it. Maybe that's one, maybe that's 10, maybe that's 15. I don't know. But however many it is, that's how many you put out. That's a good way to approach like repurposing pod stuff. Now with like our shorts and stuff, that's a different that's a whole different conversation completely because we're sitting down with like the effort to intentionally create something from scratch. For that, I still don't know what the right amount of quality versus quantity is. I kind of think the answer is how much of this is someone gonna wanna see of you this is what we were talking about last time. Like if, if people saw me twice a day, every day for seven days, like 14 a week, I don't know. I kind of think that would be too much. Like I think they would start seeing me and start getting fatigued. They'd start getting like bored of me. They wouldn't be looking forward to the pieces as much, just the same way you look forward to an Oppenheimer film. So for that, I do think there is like too much. And the level of too much is like, what's going to fatigue the audience, you know? So that's that you want to respond to that. And then I can give you my thoughts around the second channel. I mean, 100%. Like, there is such thing as fatigue. And so I actually don't subscribe to this theory. It's like, uh, you know, Gary Vee is a big perpetuator here where it's like more, 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 more. You always want to post. You have a piece of content post, but more, more, more. I don't subscribe to it, but because of what I'm trying to do as a creator and like what I'm, I'm kind of trying to build. Again, it's the right answer for people who are just looking for the lead, you know, where it's, it's like they're using these platforms as perhaps they're intended to be used as a discovery. 
It's like, hey, there are 4 billion people out there now with access to the internet, 3.5 billion with a smartphone, 3 billion people active on Meta. I want to reach those all. If, that's, if that takes me playing the game 10 times per day, spinning that wheel 10 times per day, putting 10 pieces of content out, that's what I'm going to do because I'm all about discovery. Right. And even if there's only five new people seeing one of my every single new piece of content, that's still five potential leads that can enter my business. I've calculated their LTV. Da, da, da. OK, that all makes sense. Um, so, again, for me, there is 100 percent fatigue that exists. I just think a lot of creators that are playing the volume game don't really care about that. Right. They're just interested in the discovery in that new lead that could potentially enter the machine. And again, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it just goes back to why you're being a creator. Are you in it like, you know, for, for the art? Are you in it for like to fulfill yourself as a creative or are you just in it again? You have a business. This is your marketing channel. I don't know that there's a, a, a right or wrong answer. And if you want to like, uh, you know, add anything to that, let me know. Otherwise, I wanted to ask you about something interesting that you've been talking about where followers don't matter. And then you said that, in fact, more followers might be a bad thing. And I wanted you to clarify there because my thinking is is actually sort of similar here, but I don't, I don't know which where you want to take yeah, this. Let me let me say a couple of things real quick. First, to steel man the yep. quantity side for people who are pro quantity. The only reason why pro quantity makes sense is because the algorithms are not showing everything you post to every one of your followers. Meaning, a lot of it is just getting new eyeballs. So if you post six times a day you're not fatiguing the audience because it's not showing all six to your follower, your existing followers. If that's true, right. then it makes sense. But I think that's a little more art than science. So I want to say that on the second channel piece real quick for that. Well, and maybe, maybe we'll debate this too, before we get into the other piece. My thought was always this. Every time I started a project, I was like, let me make new socials for it. Let me make new, a new account for it. Like let's start fresh. Right. And then all of a sudden I zoomed out and I was like, holy shit, I have five, accounts across every platform that I have to manage. And what I realized is what I was doing was basically fractionalizing the compounding. So for every additional channel you have, you're splitting attention that's coming into like your world. So like Roberto's world, you've got like at RP Nixon, which is the primary flagship. And then you've got at metaverse, you've got at Aluna. If you do like RP Nixon number two, basically eyes are only going to go one way. And so what could happen I don't know if this is true, how social algorithms work, but just from a math perspective, like if you're getting 100,000 eyes on Roberto's world, that's good. But I kind of want all 100,000 of those laser pointed on one place so that the, the most of them convert to followers and then it can compound, like views and likes and everything will compound on one channel. The more you spread it out, the more you'll have like, let's say, let's just take that 100,000 views. You might have 20,000 here, 40,000 on the main channel. You have 20, but then you'll never... Because we know how virality happens. Virality happens is basically like a storm of sharing and engagement on a single post. So you might never reach virality because you're basically starving the fire on each channel by splitting it. So my take was always like, okay, rather than make second channels, let me just be okay with experimenting on the main channel, knowing that not every person is going to need to watch every single piece. And then I can preserve the compounding. That, that was always my thought, but I could be wrong with that logic. No, I mean, I think, I think you're right. I think that makes a lot of sense. Where I'm, where I'm going with this is, you know, this is so prevalent on YouTube, uh, especially amongst like gaming streamers, you'd be surprised, or just like regular YouTubers who, who are vlogging their life, whatever. So many of them, if not most, have a second channel. And I guess for me, it's not that they're like, 
it's not that they're splitting up the attention into different pieces and it's actually it's actually more effective and impactful to just have that all reroute to one center. I think the purpose of a second channel is to reroute those eyeballs to the primary mm. channel without compromising the integrity of that primary channel. So if I want to create 10 pieces of content a day, but I don't want to fatigue my main audience, my main channel, the one that's like, again, where I refer to it as my HQ, then a second channel starts making a little more sense where I'm just putting stuff out there that I'm like not necessarily proud of, but I'm playing the volume game. I'm playing the eyeball, the leads game without like, in a way, you could even position it as it's like you're not in charge of that second channel. You could even do it. And I'm wondering if creators are actually doing this. Where what if you set up Callaway fan account or Callaway thoughts account? And it's almost as like it's a fan doing it when it's in reality you. I don't know if anybody's doing that out there or not. Something that just came to mind. That could be an interesting strategy. But I guess where where I, I, uh, I disagree with you a little bit is that the second channel is not necessarily fragmenting views. It's just another vehicle to drive those views to your main and primary channel where, where the impact mm, is. That's a really, that's that's a really good it. point. So it, to distill that down into, into my classic, my classic one-liner, I would say if the, if the quantity of content you're making exceeds the saturation point for that, for your primary channel, you should have a second channel. So like on YouTube, if, if the right quantity for like max the most of a YouTube subscriber could consume, let's say, is like two times per week. Otherwise, it starts getting to be like you're fatiguing them. If you can put out more than two videos per week, you should have a second channel where that excess goes. But if, you, if you're still below the max quantity for the fatigue, it should all go to one, I think, so you can max compounding. That, that is like actually a really good rule of thumb for approaching quantity. I don't know what max fatigue on Instagram is. That's, that's what makes it more challenging, right? It could be five videos a week. It could be 20. I don't really know. Yeah. And I mean, I think fatigue in general, like if I'm, I, I'm always trying to reverse engineer. And again, so this is like very anecdotal and very personal to, to my taste. And, and I guess like how I approach and think about content. But when I get fatigued with a creator, it's generally because it's the same content over and over and over and over. Yeah. Does that make sense? Um, which again is not a bad strategy because they're optimizing for leads. So it's like, they're actually doing the right thing for their business, for their intended use. Um, so Again, like fatigue to me just comes down to quality. If I'm watching a creator and it's the same piece of content just said in like a different way, um, that's when I'm like a little fatigued. And then like I subconsciously just like train my brain to, to skip. Like there's nothing new that I'm, I'm getting. There's no new signal. There's no new value that I'm getting for that particular creator. So I don't know that, you know, this is an interesting conversation. And the reason why is because there is no right answer. It's like very, very, very varied depending on who you are, what you're about, what your intentions are, what you're trying to build. Like there's just so many variables here, but it's still very interesting to discuss at like a macro level because there are some touch points that I think sort of apply to everybody. Yeah. All right, wait, let's, let's go to this follower piece because I, I, I do want to get your, I do want to get your point on this or your take on this. So, okay, so let me set up how, why I came to this thought. So I was doing this experiment, posted the, this video about Digi, this like romantic companion. We, we both made a video on it. It's pretty... I don't think the video is going to end up going as viral as I thought, but like, whatever, it was an interesting topic. So I posted it and then I was just like looking at the analytics. I don't really ever look at the analytics, but for this one, I popped it open because I just wanted to see, like, I wanted to make a tweet about it or whatever. And I looked at the analytics and I think at this time it had like 24,000 views and 14,000 accounts engaged. And of the 14,000 accounts engaged, 13 something, 13,000 and something were existing followers and like 1,000 were new followers. So I think it was like 93% of the people that had seen it in the first four hours were existing followers. And that made me think, I kind of had this realization. I was like, wait, 
what Instagram is basically doing is it's taking a new video I have, it's putting it in front of a small subset of my existing followers, and it's basically doing a fit check. It's saying what percent of his existing people who have opted into seeing him like this. And if they like it, and only if, I think, is when they'll then show it to a lookalike audience of people that aren't following me, non-followers. And what it's basically using the followers for is a proxy for quality or like a proxy for fit. And so then I was like, wait a second, if you have a huge following audience that actually doesn't like you that much, like is not that loyal, like you bought them or you ran paid ads to get them or whatever, there's like not a lot of, not a lot of interest in you. That's not good because when you make a video and it shows your stuff to a small subset of your followers, you're going to get low engagement. And when it gets low engagement, Instagram will throttle it down and also not show it to as much of a lookalike audience as viral pieces. So then I was like, wait a second, is it actually best to have a smaller following of just diehards, literally almost as if there's a gate where like you can't follow me unless you're a diehard so that when I post a new video and it shows to that small subsegment, every per like the engagement rate is so high that signals to Instagram, oh shit, we should show this to as many lookalikes as possible. And then I was like, oh wow, like if that's true, like growing a huge following unless you have diehard fandom is kind of dumb. Like that it actually hurts you. What do you, what do you think about this? It's 100% true. And this is why I always say, look, if you're going to grow a following, you cannot take any shortcuts. Listen, fact of the matter is that, especially on Instagram, but on all social platforms, there are always a countless amount of people um, that that have a large following and, and they can barely, I mean, their engagement is, is plummeted. It's pathetic. like they can, they can never get any consistent views. I mean, I, I see it on Twitter all the time. Uh, you know, like a crypto influencer with a million followers who has like 12 likes on a post. I see it on Instagram all the time, 800,000 followers, but you're getting like 6,000 views on average. On, and that discrepancy is because of one of the points that you mentioned is when you grow through these tactics. Um, and again, we talked about it on, I think like episode three, I think of weekends. Like if we wanted to get to a million followers, like a cheap way, it actually wouldn't be that, that expensive, maybe 20 to 30 grand. And you'd get there through these giveaway loops and these little cheap things. And what ends up happening is you become one of these guys, the 800,000 followers. And it's obvious everything is botted. It's like, it's a graveyard. It, it's, it, because of what you said, and because of the science of the algorithm, it, it's counterproductive um, to, to what you're actually trying to do. And so the same thing happens when you go super viral for a clip that is sort of like outside of your wheelhouse in content. So, um, you know, like as which an I've done, I don't, I don't necessarily. <laughs> want to, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, I actually wouldn't say that because all of your content is your face. I mean, like if I were to just take like a viral Mr. Beast clip or something, something that he's saying and just post it without my commentary or anything, maybe that leads to like a lot of growth to my channel, but that's actually, it, it's, um, it's a negative because of what you said. The new, f here's what happens with the modern algorithms, right? On TikTok, on Instagram, whatever it may be. They generally, especially the case on Instagram, they will take that new piece of content that you just put out and they will maybe show it to a hundred of your followers, let's say an arbitrary number, whatever it is. And I think those a hundred followers lean heavier towards the newest followers. So I would say they're showing it to like 90 of your newest followers and 10 of like your OG followers who engage with your stuff the most. So the signal that they're trying to get, let's make sure that their biggest fans are liking it. That's important. But let's also make sure that these new entrants into their ecosystem also like it. And so again, if you get, say those hundred followers come in, 
through something drastically different from the content that you're posting or something completely like separate, it's, uh, it's actually going to do you no good because from then on, the content that you're actually passionate about that's actually of impact to your brand is not going to perform. And then um, that signal compounds over time. And, it's, and again, like you enter like this graveyard, um, which, is, which is sad. And like if you're trying to chase the short, uh, if you're trying to take that shortcut and just like either buy followers or get followers through giveaway loops or whatever it is, that's going to happen to you, I would say, 99 times out of 100. So, You know what the craziest thing is? If you have a huge following that you like got through stupid means, but you create a banger piece of content, there's a, it's a high likelihood that that banger will not go because it's being shown to that small smattering of your followers that are fake and they won't give it the juice to let it go. Even if it's an amazing piece of content, which is hilarious, right? Like someone with 5 million followers who's been doing this for 10 years could put together the most cinematic thing in the world that if you or I posted would for sure go viral because we haven't taken a shortcut, but because they took a shortcut, the, the little sample that's shown that piece they may not engage because it's like a bot, a bot and paid for person. Exactly. Which is kind of, that's why it's like, actually, like you said, it's actually counter. It counter helps you. It's not neutral. It's actually negative to have done that. The interesting thing is to compare this with TikTok. TikTok, it matters so little how many followers you have because their algorithm is literally like every piece of content is going brand new to the, to the ether, like to the source. Instagram, the only yes. reason followers matter to, at this point, the only reason is that it's a signal to legacy thinking brand marketers that fo- that all they do is do the lazy work to just look at your follower account and it, and they they credentialize you based on that number and that may get you in the door with those brands at this at that time but that'll get arbed away in the next couple of years I think that's the only reason it still matters I yeah. think I think it matters a little more on Instagram because the default is that homepage which is still at least like again this isn't science but you know scientific but for my test like when I'm scrolling through my homepage I'm probably still getting 90% of that content is from people that I do follow and I would say 10% is spattering of like sort of like recommended by the algo, whatever it is. And so like for Instagram, followers still very much matter. Whereas TikTok is literally like, they don't matter at all. Nobody's on the following page or followers page. Everybody's on the for you page. And so that's the game on TikTok. But in a, in a macro sense, like where, where I say like followers don't matter is more so because followers are so easy to gain. And the good thing is, and I think this is a good thing, is nowadays like brands have mostly wisened up where nobody is paying you depending on your following. They're mostly trying to do a calculation of like recent performance. Um, like, like people have really smartened up. Whereas five years ago, the reason why all these people were out there like doing these giveaway loops and, and big followers, et cetera, was like, cause then they'd go to a brand and be like, I have 700,000 followers. So I'm going to charge you 20 grand. And they would actually get these deals. In reality, they're perpetuating fraud. Yeah. <laughs> like that's literal fraud, you know, like they go out, but, um, but it was happening left and right. And I would see this a lot. And me as somebody who used to buy a lot from influencers when I, when I was running um, the, the app business, um, there was some times at the beginning where I was even completely gamed. And then I would take a closer look. And you'd be amazed at how often this happens on Instagram where people are literally, not only are their followers botted, but their likes per post are botted. And then their comments are botted. And so the untrained eye, you're going to go in there, oh, not only do they have a million followers, they're also getting like 60K likes per post. And holy shit, they're getting like 624 comments. Like this person, oh my, they're, they're going to drive some sales. Then you run an ad with them and, and they might get you like one app install uh, for like 1,400. And you're like, what the hell just happened? Lies so covering up lies. Now it's like, 
Yeah, but, you know, you and I and, and people who have been in the game, like our eyes are really, really trained now where I can spot this in literally a split second. And now marketers themselves in these companies, I think, are, are wisening up a little bit. And what they're looking at less and less is how many followers some, somebody has, but how many views they're consistently able to command. And I think, like, that's a, a more important indicator. So with all that said, like, in the macro sense, yeah, followers don't matter because it's so easily gamed. But when you really get down in the nitty gritty, they do matter on a lot of, like, they still matter on Instagram, yeah. I think. Um, if, you're, if you're obtaining them the right way through quality. I do think on some platforms like TikTok, yeah, I mean, you can't say they don't matter at all. Um, because, again, the more followers you have, the more chance that content is going to be seen early. To the bubble. But for the most part, on TikTok, they, they, they matter the least. Uh, on other platforms, they still matter. Um, but again, it's how you obtain them and the quality of that particular follower. So it's, you know, there's, there's no like right mathematical science to this. Um, there's like a lot of arbitrary sort of nuances, but. It's an interesting one. All right. Where do you want to go from here? We've got, there's a lot of really interesting topics we have on this list. A lot. So I want to know, cause I'm not familiar with this. I know who Landon BTW is been following him on Instagram. Um, you said that he acquired full-time filmmaker uh, and you're saying a retiring OG media people is a mega trend. I want to know what, what that's all about. I love mega trends. I want to make sure that I'm paying attention. What, what are yeah, you seeing so here? Do you know what full-time filmmaker is? Have you ever seen that on YouTube? The guy, his name's Parker Wallback. It kind of has like a Air Jordan yes, thing with holding yes. a camera. That's their thing. Yes, okay, yes, so I do. He was, I don't, I don't know. I would say I know like about a six out of 10 on this, but we'll, we'll let it, we'll let it fly. So he, he was one of the OG kind of like filmmaking YouTuber teach you how to make films guys. I would say like Peter McKinnon, I think of the OG as like, he is the creator who's like, I'm dope. I make content. I make videos. I make, I take photos. Like you want to be me. Parker Wallback was more like, he was still dope, but he was kind of like, I'm going to teach you exactly how to be a filmmaker and like basically show you how to set up like a video agency more or less. And this dude was everywhere running a lot of paid ads, very savvy. His content was very good. He would do a lot of those like 30 minute, like, here's the top 20 tools that you should have as a filmmaker, like gear I shouldn't have bought, or like I'm testing all the different Ronins. Like he would do content like that. Grew it pretty big, huge email list, over a million subscribers on YouTube. And then he hired Landon, by the way, at some point, which his real name is, by the way, so Landon BTW is like the sickest handle for for that. Yeah. Oh, no kidding. I had so, no idea. That's so dope. he hired Landon at some point. And like if Landon, if you're listening, I'm getting the details wrong. I'm sorry. I'm just going based off what I saw. I think he hired him at some point. Landon became his protege. Landon really was a big factor in helping Parker grow this whole ecosystem. And then Landon kind of left a year or two ago, built his own thing, bought a building, reformatted it. He calls it studio. He's kind of like a premier filmmaker for car companies, whatever. And I just saw a post the other day or yesterday that Landon's acquiring full-time filmmaker. So like full-time filmmaker was the parent company. Landon left, spun off his own thing, and now is buying out Parker. Now, the deal terms, we have no idea. Maybe it's a seller financing. I'm not sure. But what it said is he's buying out Parker because Parker wants to spend more time with his family and like basically get out off the entrepreneurial railroad tracks. And this got me thinking like there are going to be a lot of OG media and entrepreneur people who started in the early 2000s, early 2010s, who have made a lot of money, cash distribution along the way who have like val very valuable media assets, media brands that just want to get out of the game. And like, they want to go to the next phase of life and like spend time with their family. And there's a lot of room for people like what Landon did to come in and either acquire those outright partner to acquire seller financing, where you don't have to put millions of dollars down to like acquire these businesses. 
but all of a sudden you now you basically own all of the cash flow, but more importantly, the existing audience and embedded brand. And so I was like, damn, this is really smart for Landon to do for sure. Cause now he has like a top of funnel media brand for filmmaking. And that's kind of what his services are, are selling. But how many of these other legacy channels are going to exist where the people just want to get out of the game? Cause them walking away from those channels and just making them zombie channels makes no sense because they're so valuable. And so I think there's a huge, the same way people are saying there's a huge opportunity for like when boomers retire who have like HVAC businesses and like dental practices for like young people to come in and buy those and operate. I think there's the same opportunity for, we'll call them OG media businesses where the operator just wants to get out. We, we saw something kind of similar with uh, Smosh. Did you see this? Where like the OG Smosh YouTubers, I guess they reacquired like their brand that they built. I guess they had been bought out by another entity. They came back and reacquired it. So I guess it's a little bit different, but that's interesting. I mean, I think Landon, uh, by the way, I can't believe that's his last name. That's so dope. I think he's going to crush with that because that is such a, a legacy. I mean, there's a strong, strong brand behind that. I'm also really happy for Parker Welbeck. I remember, I mean, I, he was one of the first YouTubers I encountered and I was really inspired by him. There was another guy doing something at the time. I'm, I'm trying to remember his name. He would do like this, these crazy 4K cinematic videos. He did one in Easter Island. I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. But anyways, these were like some of the two YouTuber filmmakers that I first initially started following. And then I remember a while back, I didn't see him for like eight years. He resurfaced one time on my feed and his entire feed Instagram was like all of his family. And I'm like, yo, this guy yeah. made it. That's awesome. And so I'm not surprised that he's like, this is what's important for me uh, at this stage of my career. So honestly, congratulations to the both of them. I think that's like a, a perfectly win-win scenario. And I, and I, um, I love hearing that. Yeah. Man. That's so awesome. there's a trend there. Not, we don't have a lot of action in terms of like who could be acquired right now or, who's looking to sell. But I, I do think if you're growing in a space, especially niche B2B space, you, you are like up and coming, you have a good brand. I would look at the legacy players in those spaces, look at the operators, see if they want to take money off the table, see if they want to take, and you can potentially, you know, inorganically acquire one of those channels and then kind of grow your empire in a big way. I want to segue to another, this is, this is, this is a good one. And we talked about, you talked about Tesla Barton, you know, the story, you kind of know the business cause you built something similar. I don't know if we've recapped that whole story on the pod. Maybe we went through it, but it could have been a different situation. I want you to talk through what's so brilliant about what she's doing, but then also I want us to live brainstorm. If we were to run the Tezza Barton playbook right now, meaning like we have an audience, what do we build? Let's, let's figure out what it would look like. But first go through the story. Cause I think she's crushing. I think Tezza is like one of the more brilliant creators that like I've personally come across on Instagram. Like I think, there's sometimes where, again, like I always bucket creators into, and same as artists, like music artists, especially. And I always think like the best of the best artists is because they're trailblazing their own path. They have like this signature that is so unique to them and then everybody copies. Um, Tezza is one of these artists that is like, I'd never seen anything like it. She just had like her, her own way, like the angles, the way that she'd present things, her photography, everything was just so unique and that her brand was built on on that. And it's funny like talking about her because that playbook blueprint that she ran we're also running with jack morris and gypsy lust who again i think are like some of the top creators in the world on, on instagram that i fell in love with since like 2014 so we're running the same playbook with them um but what tezza did is again we i think we've talked about it before i wrote a newsletter on this but on something that we're calling uh, content product fit there's product market fit now there's content product fit so like what is the product when you're taking a look at your brand and we'll, we'll probably do this one day like in the future when we go to like 
build a DTC company or whatever. But it's like, what is the product that fits most seamlessly into your ecosystem where you can essentially plug it every single day, every single post, but it's not an ad. It doesn't feel like an ad. It's just very native to the stuff that you're already making. So what Tezza did is she built an app called Tezza, which is such a dope name. It's like the branding. Um, and it was like very, very playful and whimsical. The, the, the design and branding style around it was just very, very, again, very new, sort of like trailblazing, something that we've never seen. She took a risk there. And it's, it's, the app itself wasn't reinventing much. It's filters, it's like shapes and grains and overlays that you can put on your app. But the fact the content product fit was so brilliant where Tezza's just posting the same stuff she was posting before. But at the bottom, the call to action was like, by the way, I added this with the, with the film filter on the new at Tezza app. Boom. That was probably, I don't know, say the post did 800,000 impressions. Maybe there was 140,000 people that rent that sentence. Maybe that converted into 10,000 downloads. Compounded over time, just boom, 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 posting, posting, posting on these discovery platforms. And her brand and her, her audience was so cult that this just exploded. Like, I don't, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but it exploded. And now this year, they just reported that they did $32 million in cold hard revenue. I think the team can't, probably is not larger than five. So it's like they just Super made Super high it, margin. Um, and I love that because it's just an example of like, you know, when Tesla first started creating content, she wasn't thinking about how do I monetize? How do I monetize? I think she was out there for six years, probably living as a starving artist, just making the dopest shit possible. And then that came back to her a hundredfold for all the opportunities she's probably said no to, which is something that we always talk about. And so like, she's just such a dope blueprint of how I think a creator should approach creating. And the system I feel like is exactly what you're saying at the end, which is like, it's not sitting down and being like, how can I make money? It's based on the process that I go through today to make the, th the art or the content that people like, what are pieces of that that I could productize and then sell to others like me? And for her, like the most high use thing she was doing was editing the photos because she was posting photos all the time. And so it there was probably no better fit than that app. So I'm curious, like, and this is putting us on the spot. We haven't really thought about this, but I, I love the live brainstorms. How would we go through the exercise of figuring this out for us? So like we both make similar type of content right now. I'll set it up as, as, as we think about it. We both make similar type of content right now where we're kind of talking about like emerging tech products. We're talking about emerging things that brands are doing. You know, I hate to say it, but like part of what we do is kind of like newscaster E, but like in a cooler way. So that's one part of what we do. The other part is we talk a lot about content, content strategy, how we're doing content, the behind the scenes. Those are kind of like the two lanes that both of us are playing in. And so, yeah, I mean, what's interesting and top of mind for me not something that we're going to action on in the next two weeks, but like in the next six to 12 months, we would want to go through a similar exercise that she went to went through, which is basically what are the pieces of the process that we could productize and that people who follow us would want to pay us for. And so when you think about it in that lens, are there any things that come to mind or like any, any ideas initially that come to mind and we can bat it, bat it back and forth? Yeah. I mean, again, like, I don't know that there's a, a science out there that, you know, like as practitioners that we can just kind of go through and like run some sort of scientific exercise to come to, to come to the conclusion. I mean, there's a couple of things that come to mind. One is like, what questions are we getting? And there's always like, when you're listening to the customer prospective customer, they're usually telling you like what they're in need of, what problems they need solving. And so like Tezza, half of her, how did you edit this? What filter was this? Was this a Visco filter? Was this a, you know, like how, and so she already had the signal. It's like, everybody wants to know how I'm creating this aesthetic. Here's an app that, and the same that we're doing with Jack and Lauren. They have a crazy aesthetic. 
what do you, how did you edit this photo? Where did this come from? It's obvious, right? So you make an app that allows you to do it in one tap. So the questions that I'm sure we're getting a lot, and I know that you're getting probably more than me is like, or I guess there's two buckets. One is like on the storytelling side. Like, how do you go about writing your script? How are you scripting these? How are you able to capture our attention and hold it? How are these so, so sticky? And so like some sort of product around storytelling. I'm getting a lot of questions too about, um, hey, what lens are you using? What camera are you using? How do you set up your lighting? Da, 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 what are this? And so it, it, like the first thing that comes to mind, and we've talked about this, and like maybe we can talk about how we're approaching it or we could save it for another pod, but it's like a short form course. And we can talk about the stigma of courses and why that actually holds both of us back. And, you know, you know, funny enough, but then we both started thinking, it's like, wait a second, we can solve all of these problems in one product packaged up nicely, curated very well at the maximum quality for these people where it's like, that would make the most sense for our content. By the way, if you want to know how we figure out our lighting, how our audio is so crisp, how this, how that, how we approach storytelling, how we find the topics in the first place, how we choose what to cover, what not to cover, how we're blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's all tidally packaged into one place. So that's like, that's the first thing that comes to mind is that info product. Um, and I think we could probably deliver at the highest, at the highest value, at the highest level. And then the other thing that comes to mind is, you know, where I'm looking at, you know, some of the, some of the heavy hitters in the space, like Nelk or Logan Paul, it wasn't, I don't think Logan Paul was being asked what energy yeah. do you drink or, or Nelk asking like, what's your favorite beer? It was like, that just fit into their brand so well. Like Logan Paul is an athletic phenom. He's a, you know, he's, he's all about athletics his entire life growing up. He was a wrestler. This is a, so like, it only made sense that a sports drink that also sort of the touch point there is like their sports endeavors. They're both trying to box, be the best in the world at this WWE. It only makes sense at a sports drink. How like this is what propels my energy and my, my stardom. That made sense. And with Nelk, it was like their lifestyle was all party, party, party. There were Corona, Rona, Rona. It's like we need an alcohol brand. What else would we do? Like, obviously. And so that's another thing that I don't know if we've done like enough world building that like bring the rest of our world in that we have like a, a good idea yet. But I would say one thing that we both talked about, sorry, to let, it, let, it, let it fly. One thing that we both talked about is like, we both love workspaces and setup and studio. I nerd out about this so much that I'll sit on my couch at night sometimes and I'll like watch an hour of YouTube, just like how somebody like sets up their lighting or their work. Like I love it. And so one thing we were thinking about is like, how dope would it be some sort of trinket or item or decorative piece that sits on your desk that indicates to others you're a creator, but you're also an artist. You're in that hybrid area between artist and business person. Um, you love the game. You love the science behind the game. Like all the things that we love, that could be an indicator and also just like a really dope day. So something like that. Um, but again, this is fun because it's like a live brainstorm to kind of like get under our brains of how we think about this. But I don't know if you have anything to add or if you have your own way of assessing, hey, what product should we solid. go out there with? I, and, I, and I also, I'll add a couple things. I think the, what you said at the end around like Logan Paul and Nelk, they basically they took the the skew of demographic that was their biggest fan and they were like, what do these people want? Not necessarily like, what what do we do? But like, what do they want? And that's where you got the like, exactly, athletic, electrolyte drink, whatever. For us, that line of thinking makes a lot of sense. We basically have creators, builders, entrepreneurs. What do those people want? One thing, like you said, housewares, things for your desk, desk setups. There's probably a lot of other things that those people want and need that we can think of. But I had a sick idea, right? When you were talking, I had a I had a dope idea. We can cut this if we can cut this if we think we uh, I think we need to keep it. But okay, and I, I cannot believe that this doesn't exist yet. And we're gonna we're gonna make this. So one thing that would go really well with the course is basically you need to get somebody from where they are today, which is 
they don't have a setup. They're not starting at all to where we are effectively, which is like everything's not everything's dialed. It's much messier. If you're listening, it's much messier than you think. Like if you looked around me, there's boxes everywhere. But like we 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 feel like we have a good, you know, eight out of 10, whatever. We've crossed a lot of ground. This is what I wish existed. We'll call it, uh, I got to think of a better brand name than this, but like we'll call it Studio in a Box. What if we had a site where every single creator that we like every piece of gear was all right there and you could be like boom i want to buy callaway in a box it's like the camera i use the lens the lights everything's there it's all affiliate based it's a free site to come to so if you call it let's call it you call it spaces so you come to spaces.xyz or whatever and you're basically like i really like roberto's aesthetic so maybe there's like a YouTube video that we film in your studio or like me and you go and like we, we like, you know, do the 10 minute like studio breakdown or we just linked. Most people have like desk setups. We just link to their YouTube. And then it's like, this is everything they have, the cords, the gear, the lights, the, and, and like how they set it up in one button, you can buy the whole thing and, or, or you can press in one button and it itemizes it and you can swap pieces in and out from other studios. Imagine you just had like because you kind of did this in your newsletter. You were like, these are the creators that are cool and like here's kind of what they use in their studio. You did like a light version of it. Imagine if there was a website where 25 top creators that we love and every one of their setups down to the down to the bolt in the tripod was like listed. And all we'd have to do is like get on a, get on a phone call with those creators and interview them for 30 minutes to like actually get their gear list or you even send out a survey. And you put that together, all of a sudden like it's way easier from so, for someone to go from zero to one if they like can click one button and buy all the gear. They don't have to like, you know, stress about that. So what do you, what do you think about this idea? That's a cool little like add on maybe affiliate business. I don't think you could charge like a SaaS revenue for access, but like maybe affiliate. What do you think about this? I like the idea a lot. I mean, I think like kit in a way is already doing it like Amazon storefronts, but I think what you're suggesting is like something a lot more curated, which I think opens up the opportunity for like brand partners to come in and so it's not just affiliate based. It's actually like a little more, there's a little more juice behind it. So I actually love it. I mean, I think that, I think, so, so like Kit as an, I don't know if you know Kit or, or Amazon storefronts, you usually got to go through like a link and buy over creator and maybe find your way there. But if there was one central place that was also a lot more visual because Kit is like, here's my gear. And it's like a little pictures of the gear and little boxes. It doesn't really do anything for you. But imagine if it was like the visual curation, like an eye candy was a dope site that's like curating uh, uh, visual film techniques but the curation was like all, every creator's talking head setups like you could click on it and then you know like i, I don't know how you'd you could have an architect make a 3d like, render of their room and like you could spin it around like that'd be sick dude that'd be so cool that would be sick so there'd be like a lot of legwork and, and and labor there you'd have to send like somebody out to like get this blah 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 but like so that's what I mean. Like on an affiliate basis, I don't know if that would be worth it. I don't think the money would like really add up for the, for the labor required. But if you'd go and get a sponsorship, it's like, hey, we're going to go to Aperture. We're going to go to um, what are some other brands, Canon or whatever. And it's like, hey, do you want to help finance this like a million dollars or whatever? It's like you're and, and like the way that we do it is all the Canon creators or the people that use your lights are all going to be at the top. And so, by the way, we're going to be I, I don't know, like there have to be a little bit more juice beyond the affiliate. Um, because the labor that would go into it to, to make that happen would be pretty intense, but that would be the sickest resource so in the sick. world. Bro. Like I would, that's the kind of, that. that's the kind of incredible. lead magnet type type stuff where you don't charge access for the site. Even if it breaks even as a, as a, I think you can make money, but like, even if it breaks even from a revenue perspective, ha being the guys that made that 
funnel any builder, creator, anyone who's trying to build a setup into right. your world, and then everything else from your world is where like the money is made. That's I'm tr- I'm starting to think a lot more about like the Lego blocks. Like how do you how do you build mm-hmm. valuable mm-hmm. resources that can get people in your world that maybe you give away for free so that they trust you. So one guy that's done this well, and man, I'm, I'm so I, I like forget people's names, but I know his business is called one of his many businesses is called Tropic Color. Um, I, I, I bought some across there. this, and they sell like, yeah, they sell like courses, lots accessories, blah blah tutorial. Um, I'm trying to remember the guy's name behind it, but this is what he's done. Like Tropic Color is like one of his like 15 building blocks that sort of all funnel back to his brand. Um, and I saw a post that he made where I think, I think he did like $7 million in revenue or something this year, you know, he's like eight years into the game. And so like, this is kind of how he's done it, where he has like all these little different pieces that like all sort of synergize together where, you know, it all, it all works really, really well. So like you said, it is, it is Lego pieces building like this greater machine. Um, but I guess where I go back to just kind of like summarize my thoughts here. When I think about content product fit, my number one thing, my North star, I think the top metric is what is something that you could literally plug in every single post and every single piece of content that you do without plugging, if that makes sense. So again, like Happy Dad for Nelk is perfect because in every single one of their videos, they're drinking Happy Dad. On their podcast, Happy Dad's on the table. They're wearing Happy Dad merch. So they're not like making video, like making ad after ad after ad. They're just making the dope content that, that uh, served as magnets for their audience to come in the first place. And by the way, this is Happy Dad. That's like the key. So if you're a creator, however, that can work for you, where it might just be a call to action in every caption at the very bottom. Like, how do you find something that's not going to turn the audience off? That's not going to make you too salesy. That just fits perfectly into the world that you've cultivated. Um, I think for me, that's ultimately sort that's of why a lot line. of people end up doing lifestyle, lifestyle clothing brands, I think, because everybody wears clothes. Like you can yeah. wear it. You can wear it in every video. But lifestyle clothing brands, hard to differentiate. And like the margins are definitely lower on this same Lens, I'm curious what you think of these one-off creator brand uh, product activations, we'll say. So like, for example, Peter McKinnon and Polar Pro made the Peter McKinnon edition like two to five and variable ND. Yeah, I, I have one, one too. I think I have one on the camera. Yeah. That I'm shooting and so that, that's one example. But there's a lot of others that I would say were like less successful, notable. Do you think, what does your gut say on like, do you think those are even worth it for the brands to work on? Or what do you think? I don't know, right? Because my, my thing with that, it, it, it all depends on the, on the deal structure, right? And, and what, what Peter thought and his management and whoever's representing him thought. But I mean, the money has to make sense. So if you're Polar Pro, it's like, okay, if, you're gonna, if, the, if the paycheck is going to be so damn good where Peter's just literally making some content out of it and like stamping his name on it, 100%, fine. If that paycheck isn't that good, then would it have been a better idea for Peter to go and team up with a manufacturer, whether it be Polar Pro or a hundred others that, that make ND filters and say, hey, listen, I want to build my own brand, McKinnon.com, and I want to have it branded under my own brand. You're just going to serve as the white la- or the manufacturer. I'm, I'm going to use you as basically like the white label manufacturer. It's like, could that have been more, could that have been more lucrative for, for Peter? Like would, maybe he would have made four times money, but was the effort not worth it? Again, so like there, there's a lot of variables there that you have to like go through and, and figure out. But I am a little bit surprised that Peter hasn't gone the route of like an Alex Costa with the Forte series and he's, you know, white labeling a bunch of products. Like I'm actually a little bit surprised that Peter McKinnon hasn't done that where like he doesn't, and also MKBHD. I'm like, how do these guys not have their own line? MKBHD of like, or maybe he does now, but like tech accessories. 
mouses, mouse holders, headphones, et cetera. And how does Peter not have his own line of like camera accessories, lenses, et cetera? Because I feel like any manufacturer would, would love to have that, uh, would have that partnership in place. So I don't know, man, again, a lot of nuances, a lot of variables. What does the money look like? What does the effort look like is, you know, uh, I guess it depends creator to creator and deal. It's to an deal. interesting debate because for the P I think the Peter Peter polar pro filter was a perfect match in the sense that polar pro effectively bought Peter's sponsorship slots like more or less. And they gave him upside in what he was selling, which is like the filter that they co-branded. But for something like a filter, Peter probably thought, okay, I could go do this myself and people would trust it, but it's going to be, like you said, it's going to be a huge headache. I can just borrow Polar Pro's credibility because they were like the most, you know, the, the highest. That's what yeah. I'm missing. A hundred percent. Bingo. They, yes. But, but certain creators don't need to borrow the manufacturer's creativity if, or uh, credibility if they're not the number one in the space, right? So like, here's, a, here's an example of one I would say that went wrong that went the other way. So Dave Portnoy made his own watch company called brick watches he didn't go to like seiko or rolex or you know I, i'm not a watch guy so i don't even know like all the brands but he didn't go to an existing watchmaker to say hey i have a shit ton of distribution like let's make the dave portnoy edition and then i'll get some on the back end instead he was like let me go find a watch manufacturer potentially even the same manufacturer that works that makes watches for rolex or whatever and then he made his own brand. It was a huge headache. He spent millions in R&D. It didn't work out. And like, I think he's lost a ton of money on that venture. And so if you look at that, it's like, why did he lose a ton of money? Was it that he didn't have the distribution to convert? Absolutely not. He definitely had the distribution to convert. It was, he's not a watchmaker. Like he, he didn't have the, the bridge of expertise between factory and distribution, which that middle layer is really important. A lot of that is like taste and operations and like putting that infrastructure in place. So this is really interesting to me because I, if you fast forward five years, you and I are definitely going to be in the position where we will have enough weight behind our distribution, but also the product mind to work with some of these companies in the right way to build like either our own lines or a one-off. And I'm just fascinated by these experiments that either do or don't work. Sometimes, like I bet for Polar Pro, they made tens of millions on that Peter McKinnon collaboration. And Peter probably made a few million plus he got like a sick product out of it. Dave Portnoy bleeding millions. So it's like, it can go either way. Yeah, no, again, and, and what you say is so true, man. So it is that credibility. I guess for me, I didn't really know much about, I've been a photographer for a long time, but I'm always just like, I've never like gone too deep into it. It was always sort of hobbyist. So when I first heard of Polar Pro, it was through Peter, Peter McKinnon. So for me, it was like, why is he putting uh, them on the map? But maybe they were just so huge that, that so maybe I'm misinterpreting. But 100%, that credibility component is the ultimate, man. It's like, would it be better for you to, to start your own hat company since you're wearing a hat in every video, whatever? Or would it be better if New Era approached you and said they wanted collaboration? It's like the Callaway New Era cap. That's much better, right? Because the credibility that it adds to your brand and the credence that it adds to you as a, a creator, I think is, is the upside there would be much more than like potentially more sales. It's you, tough. You it I'm often comes to down so, to how much time you have to spend on that other thing that is is taking away from your main thing. That that really seems to me like what it comes down to. Yeah. So I, I don't I don't want to misinterpret that because when I was always Tiffin, Tiffin I thought was like the and for me literally with like Polar Pro was like a hobbyist brand that Peter put on the map. That's how I interpreted. My guess is I'm completely backwards on that. And Polar Pro is like this very highly coveted and respected brand. I just didn't know. So, um, but you're right. The the brand. And dude, that's why ultimately brand yeah. is everything, man. Brand is everything. And I think as creators, we've got to approach it this way too. And it goes back to the quality versus quantity debate. Like this is why my mind is shifting like lower volume, higher quality, because it's, 
It's like Karen X was saying it, um, where she's like, as a creator, you want to optimize for respect um, and not for views and not for clicks. I think that's so true, man, because ultimately the brand is something that you always, always, always carry with you. Another word for that for me is trust. Um, so it's that it's, I think trust is the most valuable currency as a, as a creator. And you know, the last thing I'll say is, you know, what's crazy about the Peter McKinnon thing is he probably made more money from that filter collaboration than the total sum of all YouTube AdSense and brand placements of all his content for the first five years combined up to that point. And all he was doing for those first five years was building trust. He was doing brand deals here and there and like, but I don't think any of those really sacrificed his trust. Like he was just trust building. And if you can just have a long enough view and, and just wait long enough, those one-time product collaborations or brands you build, those will pay for everything. It's, it's, it's crazy how short-term of a view people have. That's it, man. That, that, by the way, that's Tezza. That's Jack and Lauren. You know, Jack and Lauren were basically like starving artists traveling the world, however they could make it happen, hostels, blah, 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 whatever. Five years into the game, they released presets when that got really hot. Before the app, they just released regular Lightroom presets. The amount of money they made there, I mean, it was in the multiple, multiple millions, and that's what afforded them. You know, like the brand deals were getting good, but again, they spent those first, first five years just putting out the sickest travel content on the gram when that was super hot. And so it's, it's the same with any creator. We always go back to this, man. It's like it, the long-term game is the game. Um, and you're right. That short-term lens is a trap. I think I've definitely, I mean, we talked about it uh, last episode where we're like barely a year in and it's like it, the money is like tugging at us. Wait a second. No, you got you to gotta convert these views for cash. And it's like, you know, wait a second. You know, maybe you want to spend another two years just putting out the dopest shit and, and building that trust and respect. I don't know what the right answer is. I just know that like anything else in life, the, the long-term game is the game. One question for you until we, and then we can go into like the creator Q and A. Cause I got a, I got a bunch of good questions on the Instagram story. Yep. So on the, this is another good, like live brainstorm thing on the app that you're building with Jack and Lauren. So basically, I mean, you can either share the numbers or not in terms of like how big it is, but it's, it's, it's not doing 32 million a year numbers, I would assume. And so what do you think is the difference? Like if you were the strategist going to them being like, yo, here's the blueprint. Tezza's doing 32 million a year. We're doing X, whatever, 2 million, 5 million, whatever it is. What's the gap? Like how do you close the gap? What, what are the strategic moves you'd have to make or they'd have to make or they'd have to initiate to close that gap? Yeah, we've been talking about this a lot. And so um, I won't share the, the specific numbers, but they're fine. Like this is why I don't have to take any brand deals or anything. My only income being that tone studio, I'm, I, I can, I'll share. I don't think I'm, uh, I don't think I'm not allowed to, but I get like 30% of all that revenue. And that 30% allows me to pay all my bills and kind of do what I want, eat what I like, you know, just live a comfortable lifestyle without any other income coming in. Um, so that's been really great. And it's, and it's growing fast now that they're like really committed to building it. Because one thing that we've seen, like where Tezza was brilliant was TikTok, her TikTok strategy. She would just post volume, a lot of dope shit on TikTok. And she would then run an ad spend on the ones that performed disproportionately well to her average. And that converted like, dude, incredibly, right? Um, now that's not to diminish, like most of that brand was on the seven years that she'd put prior building this reputation and building this trust. So like a lot of people in that world had already known about Tezza. So when a Tezza app comes, Oh shit, I'm downloading it. I trust Tezza. She's the dopest. Okay. Um, but it was, it was the page strategy that really sent it to a different stratosphere. And so that's something that I've been talking with Jack and Lauren on. It's, um, all right, it's time to like, we get really, really serious about volume here, especially on TikTok. It doesn't have to live on your Instagram feed. And then we'll just run ads against it, Instagram ads, TikTok ads against the best performing content. 
And, like, that's the game. That's literally what, again, sent Teza into that $30 million a year territory um, were high, 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 high volume of paid ads, but the margins that they were getting on those ads were essentially they were yeah. printing money, right? They found that glitch in where the LTV of a subscriber cost or, or was more than what an ad was costing. So they were just, you know, they were just exhausting as big uh, um, an ad spend as possible. And it was yielding probably like two, three X. So again, infinite and money. How glitch. do you, how do you view operationalizing that? Like would you, and I, the only reason I'm asking these questions, cause I think it's helpful for people listening. Like when you have something that's working and like, you can be transparent around like how you build the structure to have it work. Like basically you built, you wrote the code yourself initially to get it to where it is. Or did you have a dev team? No, that code. Cause I, didn't, I haven't touched code now in like seven years. So I, I going back to like my app days, I built like the first two apps initially and that were garbage. I was never a strong coder. And then I brought in people who were better than me at coding. And then I eventually built like a pretty strong development team around me. So I haven't touched code in like seven days. So that code was built by, that one was built by Efe, who's one of like my right-hand guys, like a super dope iOS engineer. He's a killer. Um, and that, that code base actually came from an app that we had built before. It was like three developers touching this one called MuseCam. And which is interesting to go back and look because MuseCam was an incredibly built app. It actually got Apple best app of the, of the month. Damn. It was featured on a, on a WWDC. It was like a sick app. It was everywhere featured top of the app store. It did really well because of those early placements. But then it kind of like gassed out. And the reason why is because it wasn't creator-led. Whereas like a Teza, a Tone Studio, the game is now you got to have a creator attached to these, to these. And so that was kind of the idea where it's like, wait a second, we can use this code base, repurpose it, reskin, redesign it, and build on top of it with creators as a face of it. And that's the strategy that worked really well. And since then, I've had a bunch of really dope creators with millions of followers. It's like, hey, can you build an app for me? I don't have a non-compete, but out of respect for, for Jack and Lauren, I'm like, nah, I'm like, we're just running with Tone yeah. Studio for now. But we do have code bases for carousel swipe uh, design, graphic design, gift makers, all this other stuff that we've built over, over a seven-year period um, that we could repurpose. And so been, been given some, some thought on like running that playbook again with another big creator. And we'll, how would we'll you operationalize the like paid strategy on TikTok with them? So if you basically go to them, you're like, yo, the strategy to close the gap is you guys make content on TikTok. We see what works. We run paid ads. Boom, money printer. Like if, that, if it's as simple as that, which I think it might be, do you go and hire someone? I'm not, I'm not too involved uh, on that side. Like our side is like, we're going to build this product, whatever you want to build, we're going to build it in, you know, like you let us know what feature set you want. But in the, um, in the day-to-day operations, the marketing, the, all that, I'm not that okay. involved. Um, maybe I, I should be more cause I have like some great ideas and I do see a path where we can take this app and 10 exit relatively easy. And the stickiness, by the way, is incredible. Nobody's churning. It's only five bucks a month. I've been telling them this should be 10, 15. Like we should, you know, like it's too cheap for what it is. Um, but there's absolutely no churn, like nobody unsubscribes. Um, and so I, I do see a path where it's like, wait a second, maybe I should focus all my time and energy on this app because we could probably 10 exit and sell it for like $50 million one day. But um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too involved. It's like Jack and Lauren are leading the, the marketing, the branding, the posting on the Instagram, uh, the product, like what features that they want. It's kind of like, I want it to be very much like their creative baby. And it's like, we'll just build whatever you, whatever you yeah. want. I mean, that's an interesting case study. We'll have to keep. We'll have to keep tracking it on the pod. Yeah. Cause yeah, I mean like that, it sounds, it sounds like it's a thing on the side, but like we've been saying these past few pods, if you can just get to 10 to 15 K cash flow a month, you can basically cover all your living expenses. Most of the team you would need to like scale. 
So you're already there. It's like, I mean, that's more or less. Actually, you had a tweet here that I, that I really loved. Um, let me try to find it. Where you said something like that. You were like, I realize as a creator, give me two seconds and I'll try to find it. Unless you have it off the cuff and you can. I know you're taught. Let me, let me pull it as well. Let's see. Oh yeah, you said, all I want to do is work with dope people, make cool products and explore the world. Realizing that all you need to unlock this reality is five to $10,000 per month of consistent income without having to trade your time for it. That's key. And after you unlock that, you can just slow build and compound forever. No rush when you actually liked it. And I love this tweet because it's so, you know, when people are trying to get views on TikTok, they're like, let me show you how to make a hundred, like it's all, you know, the, the world, the internet's full of bullshit now. But like this tweet is really, really resonated because it is so true. If you can build 10K MRR per month, again, the key is without trading your time for it, it's coming in no matter what you do, that gives you the opportunity to really spend your time doing whatever it is that you want to do, to really experiment, to really slow build, which is important as a creator, et cetera. So I love this tweet a lot. And if you want to uh, expand that's on that, the, that's the game. That really is. It. That's why, like, if you hear when we talk about this stuff and like when I'm writing in blueprint, the urgency in my voice, like when you read the, when you read the blueprint or like you're hearing us talk, like I, I talk with so much urgency and intensity and it's because the switch has been flipped in my brain that all I need to do is get to 10 K a month. And when I'm at 10 K a month and this shit is automated, there's nobody else you want in the trenches with you and there's you're not going to want people you're not going to want me in the trenches against you it's like all i because because what happens is people who aren't at that 10k a month you're just treading water like it's so hard to keep yourself afloat and like deal with the obstacles coming and like oh shit my car broke down there's two grand like it just it's so hard to get above get out of the treading phase and i think when you trade time for money you're still in the trending phase because you can't do the things you want to do you have to you have to work a job to get that 10k. So maybe, you know, maybe you make 150k a year and you work 45 hours a week and you're you're getting the 10k, but really you're not because you have no free capacity to do anything else. Once you get out of that treading phase and like we're getting close. Like I think we have some interesting interesting little things on the horizon that will get get me personally out of it. it. Sounds like you're like either out of it or close out of it. Then then it's a symphony, man. Then everything opens up because you can start doing anything. You can start taking bets. You can start really compounding your time for six months on one thing. You don't have to pop your head up until you have something of value. It gets really interesting then. So that's, that's like my, if people read my stuff and they're like, all you care about is money. It's like, no, all I care about is getting to the 10 K mark so that I can start taking these bigger swings. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, yeah, like, luckily I got that just with Tone Studio and that's what's enabled me. Like people are like, yo, the last, because bro, the, the amount of money that I've lost, especially in Web3, investing in Web3 over the last two years has been like very significant, like $300,000 plus. And that was just like an invest, and that, that's a whole different story, man. I actually didn't want to make money in that space. I think it's all integrity gray area and I'm glad that I didn't because like we, we should talk about that uh, one day in a pod. Um and then people notice, like, I'm not, if you, you've been following me, and again, I'm probably going to start this year at least twice a month or something, but if you've been following me, there's no brand deals in my shit. Um, there's no, there's very little, like, there's no real offer. Like, there's, there's nothing. No, I'm, I'm just, again, I'm just, I want to get better. I love doing this shit. I want to get better. I want to spend years and years and years building trust. I know I'll figure it out eventually, but like, you're right. So that, that Tone Studio check is like enabled me to kind of live and pursue however I want, just because I know I have that always coming in. That is so, so instrumental and, and important. Um, otherwise, I would have, and, and not saying that this would be a detriment to me. In fact, it could actually, because there is a part of brand deals 
that actually can serve purpose is when the brand is a good brand. And so it adds to your credibility, A. And B, if your content performs well, they're usually putting spend behind it or asking if they could put spend behind it, which increases your views, which naturally increases your organic followers. So like, I'm not saying it's a detriment, but if I didn't have that, I'd probably have to be doing these cheap three, four brand deals every month or whatever it is. Um, that would have, A, prevented me from taking the time to do the stuff that I really love and B, maybe diminished the trust amongst my audience a little bit. So um, now it's you're right, man, it is, it is, it's a blessing. And, and now live brainstorm here, I'm starting to think, wait a second, we should do this, the other code bases, like really exactly. creators and see where yeah. that goes. But, and that's, and yeah. that's all in, and I want to get to the creator Q and A and then we could wrap, but in the, in the blueprint this week, I started tracking my costs as well. So I had been tracking the revenue and like, it's been up, the revenue has been up and down. I had a few like great weeks, but mo- for the most part, insignificant money at this point. Cause like, like we've been saying, I don't have that consistent check coming in. I haven't been taking the brand deals, but the burn, like all the tools I subscribe to paid plus our podcast team, the total burn per week is like 500 bucks. So if you, if you're listening, it's like, okay, you have your life burn. If you're single life burn can be 3k a month, 4k a month. If you have a family, it's probably a 10k a month. It's going to be life burn that you have to cover maybe a little bit more, but like the actual business burn, like for Callaway to exist is $500 a week, 2k a month. Which is and and that's with a team doing the podcast. Without a team, it's literally a hundred and fifty dollars for the tools, and that's it. That burn is low. So like, you could like, and I just wanted to I wanted to say that I wanted to frame it in blueprint to show people like, yes, there's fixed costs. You got to buy the camera, you got to buy the setup and stuff. But you could do that for cheaper for a few thousand bucks. But the actual recurring burn is not that high. Like you could anybody could take a run at this. Now it might take you a year or two to like find signal and like actually create something of value the market wants. But like. If you got your life burn covered in whichever which way you need to do it, yo, it's like it's almost like a detriment to not take a swing because you're not building an asset you can sell when you work a job. Like you leave that job, you got nothing to sell. You're building a school a skill set a little bit if you're in the right job, but you got nothing to sell. So that's that's the last bit I'll say on that. Um, I want to pull up these Q and A questions because well, th- this is really the only burn, man. Like you don't need yeah. anything. If you have an iPhone, you have everything that you need to be a creator. Everything else is free. And that's literally just the way that there is. There's no like everything else is free. Okay, maybe a $10 subscription to, to creative software, but wait a second, DaVinci Resolve is free. Uh, CapCut on your phone is free. Like literally, if you have, if you have this, is all yeah. you need. Set it up, record, post. Most people don't want it bad like, enough. So what you're saying is exactly true. Most people don't want it bad enough. That's why they don't figure it out. Yeah, and that's where you get the excuses. Oh, well, I don't have the gear yet. It's like, you have an iPhone? Yeah, that's all you that's Like, what are you yeah. talking about? That's all you need. I do it. I get the craziest excuses. I had one the other day. <laughs> if they're listening, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not going to single you out. But uh, so one guy told me, he's like, my clothes aren't dope enough. <laughs> I'm like, bro, I just wear a $10 like t-shirt. Or, who dude, this is a what? blank. <laughs> and I told him and I told him the same thing. I'm like, dude, that you realize that's an excuse. That's a defense mechanism. That's not actually valid. Come on. Um, yeah. So people have all sorts of excuses, but if you have a phone and Wi-Fi, it's all you need. Truly, hilarious truly response really. to the the clothes thing is like, I like clothes. I've spent a decent amount of money on clothes, but like the logo in the video actually makes it harder for the captions to pop. So I just wear a blank with no that's unbranded. unbranded. This is like the clothes literally don't matter. You could get this from Walmart for five dollars, and it's probably the best thing you could wear on the video. I love that. I love that little bit of creator uh, advice yeah. too. It's like don't have anything that that. Um, that contrasts poorly with your captions. Yeah, like exactly. That. All right, I'm pulling up these these questions. So this time, posted a story yesterday. We got 15 responses. So 
this is like you said, this is a good way to get signal of like, what does your audience need? Like, where are the pain points? And like you said, you nailed it. A lot of the questions, not all of them, but a lot of them are, can you talk about your setup? What's your camera setup? Can you talk about the tools you're using to record and edit? So uh, this guy even said a brief tech stack breakdown from both of you, writing, video, AI, et cetera. So maybe let's take a couple minutes. You want to go first and just talk about like, maybe we'll talk about like your physical gear in your studio that you feel like are, are paramount and then like any software tools that you're using to make it happen. Yeah. I mean, everything that, that I'll list out, I want to, um, first preface with that. It is very, very optional. This is a want, not a need. This is a, a, um, a stylistic and, um, aesthetic choice. Again, uh, does it help me with my content? Maybe because I do think like there was, uh, a trend of people just going iPhone only uh, embracing the very raw style. And I think now we're seeing a little bit like, okay, maybe people want like some more professional stylized depending on the platform. Um, so I will preface by saying you don't need any of this shit. So I can tell you what I use, but you don't need any of it. You just have an iPhone and cap cut. You're good. Um, but what I like having number one is I like having a good mic. So this is sure SM7B. I have it routed to a roadcaster pro, but honestly, any audio interface will work. Um, so it's paramount to me is good audio. I cannot like, again, just because I'm a stickler, I'm a bit of an audio file, but I need my audio to sound good. That's just okay. So again, I want not a need. And then I always recommend a lighting source. And it doesn't matter what light it is. If, if you have a small room, you can go for the cheapest possible light you can find. Um, I like, I would suggest getting a light um, that you can go up and down the Kelvin scale so you can adjust the, the warmth of it. Um, and so, and then I recommend having the biggest diffusion possible. So this could literally be a $40 light from Amazon and then a shower curtain hanging if you want. I have a, I have like an expensive light right here that, I, that was overkill and I don't need like a lot of this shit in my studio. I think it's a an Aperture 300X. Um, and then I have the aperture light doom all in all, it's like a thousand dollar combination. I can guarantee for $80, I could get like the same aesthetic. So again, uh, a waste of money. Um, I have a teleprompter, which again, a, a lot of the shit in my, am I, by no, the no, way, keep going, much? keep going. Is this question? I think, that, I think this is, okay. and also like when you talk about each one, talk about like any software, anything you use, so, like with the audio, are you running it through plugins into premiere? Or are you just doing it straight out? Like things like that. So I'd also recommend going, I don't do this, but if you want to be most efficient with your time, like I would recommend actually running everything through OBS. Um, cause there's a couple things I'm going to, again, cause I can go for an hour here. So let me do this really quickly. Okay. So I'm actually filming on a very expensive camera with an expensive lens overkill want, not a need. Um, I film on the camera and I'm, once I film, I actually go to the camera and I get my memory card out, put in the computer, offload the footage. The audio I'm filming through generally logic. Sometimes I film through OBS or whatever it is. And then I'm bringing in that audio into Premiere. I'm treating that audio. There's like a, a three-step process that I do, EQ, whatever. Um, and then I go through, I cut it, I color it, blah, 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 all this stuff. But you can actually automate all that going straight through a free uh, software called OBS where your camera through a cam link is plugged into your computer, the microphone going through the computer. And with OBS, you can actually put a LUT over it and you can treat the audio within it. So what you're actually doing is just pressing a button, you're recording, and when it gets to your editing software, the audio, the visuals, they're already treated. That's the way to do it. The reason I don't do it is because although most creators tell me they're not seeing any quality loss, I'm like convinced, maybe I'm just tricking myself, but I'm convinced that the quality is at 92%, not 100. There is like a little bit of a loss there. And, and so that's why I go straight memory card straight. Again, like this is all overkill. Um, you know, it would be a sick video for you to, I, bro, I could go for an hour. So I don't Adobe, know <laughs> Adobe video for you to make at some point 
which would be which I think you would be really good at making is take the lighting setup you have, but just use your iPhone and like the shittiest mic you have. So you're filming with the iPhone, you're filming mm-hmm. with you're recording the audio with the mic, but you still have the good lights in the same exact setup. And I bet you could be like, can you tell the difference? And I bet people can't tell the difference. And that just proves that the camera lens and sure SM7, you, you could just have it here, not on, right? And you just have a lab mic with $20. I'm going to write that down. You dude. Should, I like you should that do idea. That. So that's what I'll do. I'll put an iPhone and a camera. I'll go through the mic, just go through iPhone audio, treat it with AI or whatever. I bet I can Pretty get close. it like to match almost close, but... But without the lights, again, the lights like, is key. It's funny because when, when I see these videos, I always notice because... But my eye is more trained. So like one way you notice is like the depth of field roll off, especially when it's like coming from your shoulders and stuff. It's so crisp on a yeah, camera yeah. and lens on an iPhone. It's not quite there yet. But this is the only stuff that like a trained eye would, would kind of notice. But I still think that'd be a really interesting yeah. video. And that would be a good way. And that's something we would probably put in the course too is like we'll both make a video or a module with just the phone and like a $20 lav mic just to prove that like you don't need it. The thing is we know you don't need this gear, but we went through the gauntlet of having the shitty gear, trying to make the stuff, getting our skills to the point where it was time to upgrade because like visually and audibly we like wanted better. And then we, we went up. That's the only reason, like there's so much stuff in my room that I overpaid for. But for me, I don't want even a second in my head to be like, well, if you had better gear, it'd be better. So I'm like, you know what? I proved to myself that I'm not quitting. I proved to myself that I can make good stuff with shitty quality. You know, like my first 50 videos, I wasn't even using a mic. I was screaming into my laptop on purpose because I wanted it to be shitty enough to see if the story would have worked. So it's like now, now I want to upgrade because I don't want the self-doubt of like, you know, and the imposter syndrome of not having the good visual aesthetic. So I can, I can run through a quick one for mine. It's pretty similar. This is my, my setup, right? Well, let, okay. let me make one quick, one quick note for that. And then I'll let you go is, um, I love that. I think, I think for me, what it is, is, is more two things is I want all the nice stuff a, because hobbyism, like I buy stuff knowing that I'm not going to get a return on it. People aren't even probably going to notice. I just love gear. I love tinkering. It's like truly like a hobby for me. It's a passion. It makes me happy. And so like, Take out all the money, all the ROI, there's nothing there. And then the other thing that I would say for me is time saving. So it's like I could record with my iPhone, but then I'd have to set it up, make sure it's all perfectly matched every time or buy another iPhone. That's like, I like everything static. I don't move any of this stuff. That camera's always there. This mic always here. This lights are always here. This is always here. Like, um, and my, I love optimizing for, for saving time. And so like, those are the two reasons. I don't think that um, again, I've had videos like one time I was traveling to LA, I just made a video on my iPhone talking like this and it did really well. Like it, I didn't see a noticeable difference. So, um, I just wanted to make that point. Yeah, but you're, I, you're paying for the conven- for the time savings. Basically you're like paying up for the time savings, which is worth it when your time gets valuable. Like that, yeah, as simple as that, like if you worth it, but maybe like, I don't know if there's an yeah. ROI, you know, like this is a $7,000 camera lens combination for $2,000, I could probably get similar. Is that $5,000 worth? I, I don't know. I don't think so. That's more just like, yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah, true. I, I, you know, I, I don't know that there's an ROI so there. Potentially, I'll, potentially. I'll go through right. mine. I feel like if, if there's three levels of setups, I would say yours is level three. Mine right now is level two, I would say. Like what I got to this point with level two, I'm building my level three right now. It should be ready in the next week or two. I now have, I finally today got the last piece. I have, I yeah, can't I'm, wait I'm to stoked see for this. But level two was good enough to get me where I'm at, which is like, fine. So I have the Sony, uh, Sony a seven three camera body. I have a 35 millimeter lens that, that lens camera combination is probably like 2,800. I would say something like that. I, for a key light, the one thing that I don't have that I want is like a bigger diffusion. Like to to your, your point, exactly. You want to 
you really, my room is small. You really don't need an expensive light. Godox will work. A newer will work like these, some of these cheaper brands, but you want this huge diffusion. I don't have that. I have a Elgato key. Yeah, but you have a white, you have a white wall. Yeah. And I'm, and I now realize that I could just bounce, bounce it off. it, bro. I'm telling you, or you could bounce it off a reflector, like just a circular big yeah. flat reflector. Dude, I would And these are, these so are like good. classic, so like not obvious to me as someone who didn't make videos, but like now I'm starting to pick up these tricks. So like, that is what I should have done. What I did is I got an Elgato key light, which is maybe this big. It has a diffusion on it. So it's like soft. They're, great, yeah, they're, they're really good for streaming. And like, if you have both of them, it's really good at lighting you on a, on a green screen. It doesn't give you as much cinematic roll off. Like I'm getting a little bit, but it's not as, it's not as good. The good thing is to your point, you can change the color temperature so it, it can go like warmer or colder. So I have that. That's my only light. And then um, I'm basically just running my camera in through a cam link. Like you said, Elgato cam link 4k that allows you to record in Riverside. Like we're doing now, it allows you to be on zoom. It allows you to basically use your camera on your computer. So that's camera. Um, in terms of audio, I'm also using the, well, actually to record my short form, I don't even use this Sure, I use the DJI wireless mic set. These are pretty expensive actually though. This is, I think 300 something dollars. It comes with two mics and a receiver. So you could put the receiver on top of your camera and it would sync, or you can just record direct to it. So I just record direct to it stupidly. Like, I don't know why I don't sync it. And then for the pod, I, I also have the Shure and the Roadcaster. Um, but that's it. That's really all I have. In the background, there's some lights. Got the records. Uh, I have like Aperture MCs that is the little blue thing. But to be honest, it's pretty low frills, like all in three grand-ish to get me where we're at, which not bad. And uh, yeah, now I'm going to try to do the level three, which is like, way more money and like more cinematic, but that's mostly because I think, yeah, like to my trained eye, I just want to take the next step forward with the visual. And so, you know, let me ask you a question. Is there a world and we're going from stage two to stage three could be of detriment Yeah. or I mean, you know, like if I wanted to go to like stage four, there's a lot of things that I could do. First of all, I need more edge lighting around me. I'm like blending into the background. So I'd probably get some sort of hair light or some sort of overhead light just to give me that edge lighting around me to give myself like a little bit of an outline, separate myself from the background a little more. There's other things that I can do. Um, but then it's like I would only do that if it just makes me happy and I, and I love doing it. I don't think that I'd see like an ROI. But, but from two to three, like the step that you're about to make, is there a world, maybe not, maybe yes, I don't know, that it could actually work of detriment because people are attracted to you more like the you fact know, like, that I haven't spent 10 grand. I'm like much more tryhardy. I'm much more tryhardy. Look at me. I'm trying to build a studio. Like who am I kind of thing? I don't know. Right. It's an interesting thing it's to possible. discuss. It, it very, I actually thought about that too. And I was like, what if I make all these changes and people don't like it as much? Two things to that. One, the thing that people like the most about when you make content is that you're into it. They can sense like your energy and they can sense your like positivity. And the, I think the benefit of me being happier because I'm pumped over the studio will outweigh the cost of people perceiving me as something that they didn't perceive me before. I think that's one thing, but who knows? The other thing is I'm, I'm trying to like take my ego out of it. So like if, if the talking head, no edit green screen format works better, fuck it. I'll go to that. Like I'll, I want to win the game. I don't really need to, I don't need to be, I don't need to be the guy that hits the home run. I want to win the game. So I'll do whatever needs to happen for it to resonate. I'm hoping that right now I'm not on YouTube at all. Next year we'll be able to get on YouTube. I'm hoping that with a better setup, I think YouTube rewards visual quality a little bit more. I think Instagram rewards visual quality to some extent. I'm hoping I can figure those out, but 
um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good point. But there's one other question, and then we can wrap. Well, real quick, I want to mention, I went from probably 1.5 to 3 this year, and I saw a noticeable difference in a very positive way. That's so, a good case study. For what it's worth, I think it's going to be a big, a big positive ROI for you. I just wanted to ask that question. I think it's interesting. To I discuss. think it does matter, too, because people may say they don't care, but I think subconsciously your eyes pick up a visual fingerprint in like one second of watching your stuff. And so totally. when I see yeah. yours, I'm like, damn, this is no. it. So I, I encourage it. I just wanted to get your yeah. thoughts on that, but I definitely encourage it. And I saw a positive ROI from um, that. So. Okay, we've got, there's a couple, a couple good questions in here. I know we're getting a little long, but we've got, why did you choose to start creating content? We've got, how do you juggle giving the most possible value to people and monetize? Um, those are probably the, those are probably the two best, best questions. So let's do, let's do, how do you juggle giving the most possible value to people while monetizing? I think it's a good question because we haven't figured out the monetization. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I love these kind of questions. It's like live brainstorming because as we highlighted in the last episode, there's a lot of ways to monetize. And we do have like a little bit of the, of the luxury to kind of like be selective and thoughtful about how we're going to approach it. Um, I think, I think both of those questions kind of like lead back to something similar. So why I first started making content this year, started making content around AI specifically, because I was fascinated by the technology. Um, I had a great team in place. Let's build something here. So we built a product called Aluna. Um, and the, uh, the signal was very, like it was there. Okay, so I started making a lot of content, millions of millions, tens of millions of impressions per week. A lot of that was successfully funneled to Aluna because, again, the content product fit was perfect. I'm talking about AI. By the way, we're building something at AI. Sign up for the wait list below. 200,000 people on that wait list got the 25K MRR very, very quickly running on all. But then we realized, wait a second, this isn't what we want to do long term, media generation. We're going to be competing against Adobe, Figma, uh, Meta. Google, like literally every single big player in the game with infinite resources. And so that's why we kind of shifted our focus and now we're building another product called Pulse. A Luna Pro subscriber is going to be grandfathered, whatever. Um, but that's why I started making content. I was like, I, I realized like all these creator-led businesses are emerging and this is, this is the game now. And without a doubt, there's no way we could have done the numbers that we did and shit that we did in Luna without like me creating content. Like, otherwise, how are you going to get the word out? How are you going to build attention? And so that's why I started making content in the first place. It was very sort of like economically driven. But now that I'm in this game, I realize how much I love it and how much like the, the creative challenge behind it is now what's like really getting me going where I'm less excited now. And you've probably seen it in my content. I'm less excited now to cover like an AI tool. I probably actually won't do it anymore unless it's paid. I just... I'm probably like done with that in a way or unless it's like just super just crazy, crazy valuable to the audience where they need to see it. Um, and more and more, I'm going to lean into like what, what I find um, challenging and like beautiful to do as a creative. I haven't figured out quite the strategy there. Um, I just think that again, like if I'm building like respect and trust for an audience in the long term. The money part is the easiest. I think it's like building that audience, that distribution channel. That's the hardest part. And so I'm just, I'm kind of being patient, haven't figured it all out, which is why I love weekends because we get to like live brainstorm this and you can see the journey and the process unfold in real time. Um, but again, I think I'm confident that we both and individually can, can figure this out um, in the next year, in the next two years, certainly. But I'd love, I'd love for you to answer that question. 
um, to, to see what you I'll, I'll answer it for sure. Had you, had you made any videos before starting working on a Luna or did you see AI as a trend? You guys started breaking ground on a Luna and then the strategy for a Luna was that you had to make content. Like, had you even tried making videos at all before then? Um, if you go back, you can see I maybe made like one or two, like in my life. Um, not no really is the answer. Um, what I have been doing though, for like eight to 10 years is building faceless media brands. So that was like pretty successful. And I, I, I built all my apps, um, whether it be MuseCam, PicLab, DesignLab, VidLab, SwipeMix, GifLab. I had all these app, uh, media channels essentially too, um, that all had hundreds of thousands of followers. PicLab at one point, I think like had 950,000 in its heyday in 2015. So like I've been in this game a long, long time making content, just not personally. So I've been making content, uh, probably tens of thousands of pieces of content for all these pages. So, I, so it's like, I didn't start yeah, yeah. from scratch, but, but you hadn't made any, um, I kind of already knew personal how stuff I, you hadn't made any personal stuff until, cause that's crazy that you were probably like, this is going to be our strategy. And then you nothing. made the first You 10. can even go back and look at my page. I did have some, but they were different. Like I have one of me, like I'm looking back now, 167 weeks ago, 2020. Uh, I had one of me and my wife at a, at an Airbnb, just like lounging in the pool. I was making like, like some travel stuff. content. I'm, I'm remembering now like lifestyle travel stuff. And that's because I had apps and I was like, this was colored with MuseCam or Tone Studio or like I, uh, I designed this with Design Lab. And so that, so like I had already been doing it just like a very slow, super inconsistent, low effort yeah. scale. Um, so I knew it would work and I knew kind of how to resonate with an audience. I knew how to blah, blah, blah. So it's like, I'm not, I'm like, it was like overnight 10 years in the making as, as you always see yeah. on the internet. Um, but not, nah, I would say January of this year was when, if you go back and look at my body of work, that's when it really started. Like it, it was a switch. It was like one day yeah, to the that, next. Well, that's what I was going to say is you how know, crazy so. was that, that <laughs> you guys, you were building a Luna and you were like, you were like, all right guys, this, the marketing strategy is going to be, I'm going to go make content and drive. And like, you know how it is when you build a company and everyone's like, all right, what's going to be the strategy? And you're like, here's a strategy. Then you try it and it never works. And you were like, guys, here's a strategy. I'm going to go make short form videos. And you come back seven days later after five videos, having get, gotten like 10 million views and like acquired 50,000 followers. And you're like, all right, I think this is going to work. <laughs> like, that's probably insane. Uh, yeah, it was dope, man. And like, and like, honestly, it was that. And that's why it was AI. Cause I knew this was an emerging trend. It's very easy to ride the wave. I've done it a lot of times before, like even, even like building um, paradise. That's when like travel Instagram content started popping off and I took, I latched myself to that. And now you'll see there's a little less AI. And the reason why is because the main tool that we're going to be building um, pulse tone studio that it's less about AI, more just like about creativity in general and creating in general weekends too. fits like everything is. Um, so it's all like kind of like deliberate and strategic, I would say up until recently where now I'm just like, wait a second, I just want to make like really dope art in a way. I don't know how that gets monetized, but yeah. I love it. So, um, we'll hope to iron and figure all that out in real time with, uh, on this podcast. But yeah. How are you? Like, I want to know too, cause you probably started around the same yeah. time, right? Was it like December? 22? Yeah. I started in like end of November 22, basically. So my, my thinking and what was the catalyst? Yeah. So basically I launched a bunch of stuff on the side that failed. It were like pretty, pretty, measly attempts I'd say but when I zoomed web 3 was kind of like the big wave that I won a little bit on web 3 with nfts and we tried to build a brand it failed big time and I kind of took a step back and was like what is the common thread between all of my projects failing and the common thread was that I had no audience I had no distribution to even to even test even if I had a great product I didn't even know it because I couldn't test without paying and I didn't want to pay for ads because it just felt like a, a transactional relation I, I don't know I just don't really believe in ads I think it works for D2C products but I just am not a huge ad guy unless you have product market fit 
So I was kind of like, okay, why don't I just stop what I'm doing, ramming my head against the wall, instead zoom back and be like, let's just build an audience first, try to get people to trust me. And I was like, if I can get people to trust me about something, I guarantee, I, because I have a product mind, I was like, I can get people to buy a product eventually. So that was the first start. And then really quickly, I realized, in terms of like what content to make, basically I realized the two most important things on the internet are weaponized attention and a cult brand. Those are the two most important things. If you can, if you can weaponize attention, not for bad, but for good, you can weaponize attention and you can build a cult following, you can do anything and you'll print money. And so I was kind of like, okay, let me learn. Let me, let me sharpen the knife to learn how to weaponize attention and let me pick cult brands as the topic so that I can study cult brands while I do it. So that way, after two years, I'll be an expert at what makes a cult brand a cult and I'll be an expert practitioner at weaponizing attention. And so that's, that's kind of why I picked. And also I'm really interested in brands and like, I, I just like, that's the way my brain works. But strategically, that's why I picked this lane. And now I'm like, oh shit, like that is, that was the right strategy. Like learning how to weaponize attention can print money forever. And I like cult brands. I think when people are super fans of yours, like just magic stuff happens. And so I just want to learn like how these brands built these cults. So that was kind of my answer. I love that, dude. That That is so important for people to hear and so thoughtful. And it is exactly the reason why I encourage everybody to, and like everybody sort of is becoming a creator. If like nowadays, if like you're entrepreneurial, kind of like creator in a way, but I encourage everybody to start building an audience because man, it is, it is incredibly valuable and, and more and more so as, as the years progress, because you're right, man, that, that built-in distribution is so important. If you don't have it, you got to partner with somebody who does have it in order, I think now, really nowadays to, um, you know, to build a successful sort of like online or internet business. So well oh, yeah. said, man. All right. I think, I think we should wrap it there. I feel like that was a good, that was a good one to end it on. You got anything else to add? Um, you got any creator call outs? Nah, man, not really. I think, uh, uh, I do real quick. I want to, I wanted to see real quick. What are your holiday plans though? Like Christmas, what's that looking like? You staying in San Diego or are you traveling staying in or? San Diego, keeping it low key. Um, we might go to Disneyland this weekend as check it out to check out Disneyland. Nice. Never, we haven't gone to the LA one. So, but yeah, keeping it pretty low key this year coming off a lot of travel. What about you guys? Dope, man. Now, same. I'm, I'm going to Ohio to see some of my family, Columbus, and then, uh, coming back to Charlotte and, and, uh, spending with Carly and, uh, her family. So, uh, and little girls. So it's going to be super dope. Excited for it. Um, leads me to say next Tuesday's the 26th. I don't know that, uh, we'll record then. What are you thinking? Oh, we can, yeah, we can skip if you're not, if you're not around, if you, if you're around one of the other days, like a Wednesday, maybe 27th might work. We'll figure that out. Um, otherwise, man, no, I don't, this week I don't have any creative. Well, I do I, two creative call outs real quick. One is Ruben R E U B E N on Instagram. Unbelievable photographer. And like, he's just carved like such a signature style and unique niche for him. I really enjoy his content. And the other one I met about the Instagram summit a couple months ago was Matt friend, who I just think is like, when I met him, there was like this glow to him. This dude is like clearly a future superstar. I can see him on like SNL or something. He does a lot of like voice impressions, comedy skits. Dude is mega, mega talented. Uh, I think is a must follow. Those are my two creator spotlights for this week. Do you have any? My big one was Landon, by the way, for for the acquisition of uh, a full time mm. filmmaker. There's so many. We, yeah, I, I got I gotta to be more him. intentional about like getting people's names down when I come across. There's just so many amazing people doing dope shit. Um, Adrian Purr is one that we've talked about before. He's so cool. He made he made a really a really sick video. Oh, he did such a dope video this week. Yeah, must yeah, follow. Must, must follow. Hundred percent. All right, cool. Just to wrap, I want to say everybody, if you listen this far, thank you for rocking with us. End of twenty twenty three. I would say it's 
it's the easiest thing to say of all time is that I would say 2023 probably changed both of our lives in terms of the way we're approaching entrepreneurship, the way we're approaching building, the content shit's working. I feel like 2024 is going to be a massive trampoline year for both of us, for the weekend's brand, for everything. So just want to say appreciate everybody for listening and uh, have a happy holidays if we don't have a video next week. Let's go. Yeah, happy holidays, everybody. Peace.